0: deep left into the bleachers a two-run homer a swing and a miss ball game liftoff and history marches on 22 consecutive wins
1: from the sports
0: desk of the akron beacon journal and ohio.com this is leading off with ryan lewis a podcast on cleveland baseball santana makes the catch ball game the indians have won the american league pennant the cleveland
1: indians are going to the world
0: series now ryan lewis and ashley faststock Welcome to Leading Off, a podcast on Cleveland baseball. I'm Ashley Bastock, here with our Cleveland baseball beat writer at the Akron Beacon Journal, Ryan Lewis. Uh, Ryan, how are you doing after a, what I think was a really fun night in sports, um, a Cleveland baseball win included?
1: Yeah, uh, I'm doing all right. Yeah, it was a, a big night for Corey Kluber. Um, everybody yeah. is throwing a no-hitter now. That is the the trend. It is very in vogue. Uh, but that, that was a, a pretty cool moment for Kluber, um, <clears throat> who's having quite the uh, the rebound season. But in our pop culture corner, this is the first. So we record these episodes Thursday morning. This is the first time that we have been doing this podcast, <laughs> um, where I have not been able to watch the newest Handmaid's Tale, and I am behind. And you know information that I do not.
0: I do it's very difficult not to share <laughs> I did send Ryan a text that was like kind of spoiler free kind of not this morning where no. we got up <laughs> but i I, th- I think it's not really a spoiler because all I said is June is so annoying and uh we we all know that by now if you watch that show you know that by now um and I, I did not say anything else I sent a zipper mouth emoji so um no if you're if you come to this podcast for handmaids tale talk
1: you're not gonna get it this week so many people are just tuning out right now because they're trying to get their handmaid still fixed
0: they're clicking off they're unsubscribing please don't do that please don't do that please stay tuned Um, ryan will be on top of things more next week i hope i don't
1: know well Uh, yesterday my my schedule and my wife's schedule did not match up like it normally does and we've been watching that show together and i would not dare watch a second without her there um as you should not you should not don't leave alicia hanging like that correct i did have some time i watched this is kind of embarrassing to admit for a baseball writer who like specifically has covered this sport um on a full-time basis since 2015 i I sat down and watched uh for love of the game for the first time all the way through Have, have you ever seen that one with kevin costner no and you're gonna like put me on blast like this well, no, I, I specifically cover baseball. <laughs> and I had never seen I, I see
0: clips. Fair enough. Yeah, Fair and i
1: had never sat down and watched it all the way through. And I guess that's partly because, I mean, Field of Dreams is my number one favorite movie of all time. That movie is basically perfect. And then you have Bull Durham and Major League and Major League Two and The Natural. Then you have The Rookie, Rookie of the Year, 41, or 40, sorry, 42, 61, so if you're trying to get your baseball fix, they're all there. Also I'm also,
0: you left out my favorite baseball movie. You left out my favorite baseball movie, which is a League of Their Own. Like that is that oh, is, that is my oh, right. too late, can't backtrack. That's my favorite. Um and probably nothing will ever top it. So I right. get what you're saying, Field of Dreams. Like I love Field of Dreams too, but League of Their Own for me is just like, I don't know, special place in my heart, man.
1: Also a fantastic movie. yeah. yeah. Also, real quick, one that never gets the credit that it deserves and it never gets it almost almost never gets mentioned with all the other movies that i just rattled off is hardball with keanu reeves which not a lot of people have seen but they should it is a great movie and it's mostly baseball if you're a baseball fan or if you're a human being with human emotions you should go see this movie it's fantastic go watch hardball everybody should go watch hardball if you can hear the sound of my voice hardball with keanu reeves add that to your baseball list.
0: I was going to like make some joke about, I don't have feelings or emotions, so Good maybe problem. I should
1: watch it, but you know,
0: I'll, I'll take your word for it. I'll search that out. Um, but yeah, you know, going back to Kluber here for a second, cause I did want to talk about that. I watched the the yeah, ninth basically. inning of that. Um, it, it's number one, so strange to me how Cleveland has been involved in so many of these no hitters this season. Um, and yeah. with this one, you know, tangentially being involved because it's a former player, if you count it, three of the six this season so far, Cleveland has some connection to. Um, But, you know, it was kind of cool, I think, to see him do that against Texas at Texas, you know, being in his hometown essentially and getting to do that. Um, And I think just knowing all the injuries he's dealt with, especially since leaving Cleveland, um, it's just, it's kind of cool to see. And looking at Twitter last night, um, I think I saw a lot of like positive Tweets from Cleveland fans and um, all that stuff. So I just I just thought it was a really cool storyline. And you know, like we said, Cleveland gets a win on top of that. So um, just a just a pretty solid night overall.
1: Yeah, the, the Rangers traded Emmanuel Clause, got one inning from Corey Kluber, and then had to watch him no hit them last night. And so now <clears throat> there's also a, a three team race to not be the first team in baseball history to be no hit three times in the same season. Cleveland, Texas, and Seattle have all been no-hit twice. Seattle was very close to being no-hit by Zach Plisak, yeah. which would have been number three now. Well, I guess Spencer Turnbull would have been number three. Um, so they've been close. So, yeah, Cleveland's been no-hit twice. They have a former, uh, you know, ace throwing no-hitter last night, and then Zach Plisak came close. Um, so, yeah, a lot of a lot of connections. But, um, you know, the baseball world seems to be on pace for a, for a record of no-nos this year.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we joked last week about hopefully Cleveland doesn't get no hit again before we record next Thursday. And then obviously, like you said, they end up being tantalizingly close to breaking a 40 year streak of not having a no hitter um, in the organization. And obviously, Plesak's attempt at that was snapped in the eighth inning uh, last Thursday. Um, And a fun story from that game. He forgot his cleats. You wrote about this. uh, An assistant clubhouse and equipment manager Brandon Biller went and bought him some. So I, I just love stuff like that. I mean, it's so random, but um, I guess in, in theory, you know, we we talked about Plesak. Obviously, he had the worst outing of his career, he said, earlier in the season against the White Sox. And we've seen this steady uptick, it seems like, and it kind of, you know, culminated in in that effort. I guess just what's been clicking for him lately that he's talked about that you've seen, um, kind of anything you wanna talk about there.
1: Not having the right shoes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that was, was the key, that was the key. Actually, we can actually tie <clears throat> real baseball and pop culture together here, because we discovered last week that we were both really big West Wing fans.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> and there's a scene when Bartlett is walking onto the stage for a presidential debate, and Abby, cuts his tie right as right as he's walking out because she wanted to help and that creates this crazy adrenaline kind of moment for like 60 seconds as he's walking that they're trying to frantically try try trying to find him a tie and it was for that like adrenaline rush to to throw him off but that kind of almost like allows you to like refocus i don't think this situation was quite that dramatic it's not like Like, I don't think Brandon was, like, throwing him the shoes as Zach walked to the mound in his socks and he put him on and stuff like that. But one of those things where, like, it it didn't seem like it hurt for sure. But, like, on the mound, um, you know, one major adjustment that Cleveland has made that um, Tito and pitching coach Carl Willis have talked about is that they kind of uh, closed up his landing leg a little bit. And that's just kind of allowed everything to be a little bit sharper. His stuff has ticked up from a velocity standpoint just a little bit. Um, but, you know, Zach has mentioned for several weeks now that, um, you know, his his tempo may have been a little bit off. And this this adjustment with his with his landing leg seems to have been kind of the key um, to him really finding a completely another gear. Um, you know, he's he's still a, a younger guy. You know, a, a lot of these younger players may might be entering their second or third or even fourth year. But with last year being not only a shortened season, but such a weird season in terms of, especially in terms of development, you know, a lot of these guys have even less experience than maybe you would normally think seeing, you know, he's coming into a second year or his third year. Um, Andreas Jimenez at shortstop is another example of that where sure he kind of has one season under his belt, but in reality it was, you know, fewer than 50 games at the major league level. So it's just, it's not quite the same level of experience. Um, So a lot of these guys are, you know, still in kind of in that stage of establishing a track record and and continually adjusting to what the league uh, is is as adjusting to them back. Um, and Pl- Zach Plisak has just completely found that other gear. He's been one of the better pitchers in baseball for a couple weeks after really struggling for a few starts and and then, like you mentioned, getting you know torched by by the White sox where he couldn't get out of the first inning. Since that time, you know he's slowly, uh, kind of progressed to where he is right now, and when when they kind of made that adjustment with his landing leg, it seems like that's when he kind of took off. Um, but he's he's provided a, a really big boost, um, you know, for them, especially with you know Tristan McKenzie and Sam Hentges, um struggling a little bit to to get through their starts or, or to provide you know quite the the, the length and, and workload that they would like. So especially with that going on, um, Poliak surge has has come at the right time for them.
0: Yeah, and. Um, If you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know this, but just for some added context, the last no hitter a Cleveland pitcher threw um, was Len Barker through a perfect game for Cleveland on Friday, May 15th, 1981 against Toronto. So, yeah, just I'm trying to do the math. I don't remember what day the 15th was, but last week, maybe earlier this week was the 40th anniversary of that. So um, still, you know, in this in this what is going to be probably a record-breaking year of no-hitters um cleveland still has plenty of time to try to get the first one in just over 40 years here um let's transition to wednesday night um cleveland gets a three to two win over the angels um an interesting tidbit because we've talked so much about jake bowers unexpected results and all that stuff um he hits a homer against shohei otani on wednesday it's only the third homer that otani's allowed this year so talking about a confidence booster hopefully hopefully
1: that's it right yeah. And what Otani is doing, just real quick, is just unbelievable. Ridiculous. It's every like three days it's, or five days, maybe, it seems like there's some stat about how he's the first player to do this and this in the modern era. Um, it, it's just he he leads baseball in home runs. He has a, a really good ERA. His, um, you know, you could you can go through by each pitch. His splitter has been one of the best pitches in baseball this season. He has the 23rd best sprint speed in baseball. Um, people are making jokes because the government keeps confirming that they're aliens, basically. And like what Shohei Ohtani is doing is just absolutely insane. Um, you know, His his velocity was down to start uh, last night's game. And all of Twitter was freaking out and yelling to get him out of the game and protect him at all costs and all this stuff. Um, so, yeah, so Jake Bauer taking him deep. Um, you know, that's that, that's a pretty good time to, to get your second home run of the year. Um I don't know if that was the most expected outcome, um, but Jake Bowers was was pretty excited. He had uh, you know uh, family at the game, um, so to to homer off the player who is absolutely the MVP favorite right now in the American League. If he keeps doing all of this, um, that's 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 a pretty big moment. Not not the worst timing on that either, especially in a in a one run win.
0: Yeah, and to kind of transition to your walk off thoughts here, um, another Otani point when you talk the. The main focus of your walk-off thoughts from that game was Austin Hedges, and interestingly enough, he threw out Otani, who, is the 23rd best sprint, who has the 23rd best sprint speed in the game, like you wrote about. Um, but overall, you know, Austin Hedges, he's included in the Mike Clevenger deal. Um, him and Roberto Perez, no question you wrote the best defensive catching duo in baseball— Um, Even if, you know, oftentimes there's maybe something left to be desired on the offensive end. But since the beginning of the 2019 season, um, and that's when Roberto Perez took over the primary catching duties after uh, Jan Gomes was sent to the Nationals, Perez leads all catchers catchers with 36 defensive runs saved and Hedges is third with 23. Um, And there are only three catchers in baseball above 14 defensive runs saved. So um, just overall, I guess, even without Perez, how important is it that they have a guy like Hedges who still is behind the plate in these, you know, in this this stretch of the season where things could potentially spiral without a guy like
1: Perez? Yeah, it's 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 pretty crucial to how to how they want to operate because um, even going back to Jan Gomes, um, you know, Tito has said at times that you know with their catchers, anything they get offensively they're going to view as just a bonus because of um, because of how those guys have been able to either handle the pitching staff control the running game or both but cleveland's younger pitchers i mean that's absolutely the, the prized position of the franchise there's a ton of value wrapped up in that group um they've invested so much and had so much success developing these guys developing these younger pitchers and because of that they've invested quite a bit into making sure that those guys are protected as much as possible. And in terms of having catchers who really know how to call a game, who know how to, how to handle pitchers Um, they can work with veterans. they can work with rookies um, and, and both of these guys can control the running game as well. So they considering that that's been their backbone, this, this younger group of pitchers that have allowed them to make all of these trades and trade all these, you know, big name starting pitchers and still have Shane Bieber and policeak and Savali and Hentges McKenzie, on and on and on. Um, all of these younger guys who are just either brimming with, you know, starting to uh, establish their, their major league track records, still have quite a bit of potential. Uh, because of that, they, they really uh, put all of their focus um, uh, into the defensive side with their catchers. And that's been a really important you know, role for them not quite to the point where they're okay just completely punting the offensive side, but like not that far off in that as long as the defensive side is handled, that's really important to them. And that's why it was uh, you know, a a key part of Roberto Perez going down, which normally might be um, a much bigger deal to the, not only the team, but specifically the pitching staff and normally would be without having hedges there where Cleveland probably has the best, two or three defensive catchers, depending on how you want to, you know, break down the numbers and, and, and which things you want to focus on in baseball. These guys are both, you know, elite level defensive catchers. And so having them both available is, is a big deal. And Savali and, and so many others have, have said over the last week or so, you know, how nice it is to to have both of these guys available. And then when one is down which you know is not what the team wants of course in a perfect world that they, they are both available but even with, with Perez out for the next several weeks having hedges there is just such a I, I guess sort of like a, a security blanket that these guys know that um you know from from a pitch sequencing pr- perspective uh from a pitch framing perspective from a base running control perspective you know these guys are pretty close to the top of the league in basically all of those categories um and so that's a, a really big part. You know, I think the important thing to understand is just how how much value, you know, Tito especially, but really the entire franchise puts into the defensive work that these guys do And that. Um, you know, neither, neither of these guys are great offensive catchers, although Roberto Perez had a really nice 2019 offensive season, dealt with injuries last year, and for a couple of weeks coming into this season, looked like he might be healthy again, which would have been a huge boost to this lineup. And then he gets hurt, he gets crossed up on a pitch with James Karinchak, plays through it for a little while and eventually you need surgery. Um, Austin hedges is, does not have even that kind of an offensive potential, most likely um, it's pretty unlikely that, that he, that he's going to reach that point. But again, you know, anything that he gives them offensively is, is, is going to be viewed by the team as a bonus. Right. So to have these guys there, you know, there's when you've invested so much um, into this, pitching staff and and just your pitching development you know it's kind of like if you're going to buy this really nice you know macbook laptop a lot of people like to buy the apple care um and it's it's sort of along those lines where you know you you want to give them the best chance to succeed and and that's what they've done and that's why they're you know they're pretty you know thankful that hedges is still here and that he was a part of that clevenger deal
0: so moving from the catcher's to the pitching staff here. Um, Shane Bieber's MLB record of 20 games with eight or more strikeouts, that was finally snapped over last weekend in a three to two loss to Seattle. Um, And if you don't want to look it up, Ryan did it for you. The last time he failed to record eight strikeouts was September 25th, 2019 against the White Sox. He had seven in that game. Um, And you wrote this, you know, this interesting metaphor. He's kind of, Bieber has been at a cruising altitude for so long. Um, But right now the, the same kind of efficiency and effective outings are not there. Um, in that game, he was knocked out with 101 pitches in only the fifth inning. So um, I laugh because it seems kind of ridiculous to be like, what's going on with Shane Bieber? Um, but, you know, what is going on with Shane Bieber? Because when you're comparing him to himself, obviously, um, that same kind of efficiency just he's, he's really been grinding out the last few handful of starts, it seems like.
1: Yeah, he, he set such a high bar for himself. Right what he did last year that you know what he's done is still um, pretty good for most of the league it's it's kind of like if, if Mike struggles he's still better than eight or ninety percent of the outfielders in the game um, but he hasn't been quite as sharp and it. it doesn't seem as, as as quite that specific but I know he's he, he's mentioned that you know the slider is something that, that he's mentioned that Carl Willis has mentioned that that hasn't quite been there, you know, that he qu- hasn't quite had the feel. It's not quite doing what he wants it to do. Um, and he, just, he hasn't really been hitting his spots like he normally does. That normal, uh, you know, pinpoint accuracy just hasn't quite been there like it has been um, at times this season and for all of last season and and for, you know, much of 2019 as well. It just hasn't quite been there. Um, and, you know, that slider, um, you know, and we've, we've talked about, you know, pitchers developing pitches on this podcast. Um, I, th- I think a few weeks ago, you know, sometimes a pitch might be developed because, you know, you need something uh, against either lefties or righties. You know, Shane Bieber really worked on, on his changeup. Uh, you know, Bieber's actually a great example of, of both things that I'm, I'm, I'm going to mention here. He developed a changeup because uh, he needed something extra against lefties uh, uh, specifically. So sometimes a pitcher will develop something because he need he needs to add that to his arsenal. But there are other times when a pitch might be added and its main effect isn't meant to be that it's this great pitch on its own. It's meant to um, you, uh, lift up a couple other pitches to where it, it's it's giving hitters another look that, may, that might make a few other pitches a little more difficult to pick up. So last year he impl- implemented a cutter kind of for that reason. He has his fastball, he has a slider, and then the cutter is kind of like right in between those two um, in terms of movement and and velocity just, those things are just a little off and it kind of gives hitters one extra look so when his slider isn't operating like he wants it to but when he doesn't quite have the feel for it and, and he's continually working on it in between starts um, you know that can just kind of have um, an, an adverse effect on maybe his, his other pitches where it's not just that he can't throw that um, it's that hitters may be picking up some other things a little bit better he may not be able to throw it quite as much um, you know Carl willis mentioned that you know, Bieber set career highs in in uh, pitch count, uh, you know, multiple times over the last few weeks. So they they didn't work on the slider in between his his most recent start quite as much as maybe they would have liked because they're trying to be careful with him. They're trying to to kind of monitor all of that and not go too far. Um, so he's kind of working, working on that on the fly. And that's another reason why Zach Polisak surging and, and uh, Savali coming up with with a really nice outing last night. And that's that's why the timing of, of those two guys, um, you know, couldn't have been better. Um, while Hentges and McKenzie have, have struggled a little bit with mm-hmm. their command in, in, in both cases. Um, and then Shane Bieber just hasn't quite been his normal self. Um, still, you know, a, a, a pretty quality pitcher, um, just just not quite uh, that level of efficiency. He hasn't quite been hitting his spots in that slider. You know, until he gets that slider really working again, He he's going to have to kind of grind, which is something that pitchers, you know, always have to go through. Justin Masterson was on was on the radio broadcast and he was kind of mentioning, you know, in a 10-start stretch, you'll have two starts where everything's working. I think he, he said that it was sexy when, when all of it's working right. Uh, you'll have two starts where, you know, kind of nothing's working and you really have to grind. And then you'll have six starts where, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a mix, I guess. And, um, you know, Shane Shane's kind of going through that, you know, th- those latter categories right now. And, um until he gets a slider back it that may continue.
0: Yeah, and from the the bullpen angle of things here, um Brian Shaw on Tuesday night in a 6-5 win over the Angels, um which by the way snapped a four-game losing streak, um you wrote arguably his best outing to date. Um so let's just talk a little bit about what he what he did in that um 8th inning of work there.
1: Yeah, um He's been really sharp. Um, I think Tito called him a blessing for the bullpen. Um, it's been quite the career turnaround for him. And that night is, is kind of the you know the biggest example of it, where he goes into the eighth with, with a one-run lead, and he's got to face Otani, Anthony Rendon, and Jared Walsh. So that's superstar and MVP favorite, probably. Then another superstar who signed a massive contract a while back. And then one of the hottest hitters in baseball and Jared Walsh, who was a big reason why Albert Pujols was designated for assignment. So those three guys with a one run lead, there aren't a lot of lineups in baseball um, that can kind of pack more of a punch in a three hitter stretch, which is why it's crazy that the Angels have it won every single game when Trout's been healthy and also in that lineup. But that's that's another podcast. Um, But Shaw um, got Otani to ground out. And then he struck out Rendon looking. And then he struck out Walsh looking. And was just it, it, that stretch, which is a pretty dominant, you know, five or ten minute inning stretch. Um, where and Brian Shaw's had a hell of a season so far. Um, and he's really kind of bolstered this bullpen that already featured James Krenzak and Emmanuel Clase. Brian Shaw is the older gentleman of that group, at 33 years old. But you know, to see shaw and cody allen and andrew miller at different points leave that bullpen and to see cody allen struggle and retire to see andrew miller still struggling and kind of still trying to get it back and then to see brian shaw struggle mightily but then kind of not reinvent himself but just like sharpened himself yeah Um, you know it's not like he went from a sword to an axe but he's a sharper sword now and everything has been better and everything has been sharper and his cutter um, has has been really strong, and, and that that's his key pitch. And if, if he has that working, everything else kind of follows. Um, so Brian Shaw's been a really big kind of you know, of a wild card role is, is is the term that Tito used going into the season, and he's um, kind of filled that role in more. And you've had Shaw and Karinjak and Cloze, and then Nick Sandlin has also been really strong. Um, but Shaw's had a had a key role um, in that bullpen, and I I know that a lot of people don't really like brian shaw because he has in the past i mean if you
0: didn't like brian shaw in the past that's one thing if you don't like brian shaw this year like i don't know what to tell you you need to watch him more or something right Right.
1: it seems like some people are struggling to let go of some of their previous feelings but this is a new or it so far it's been a new brian shaw and even in the past he did have those blow-up outings yeah. But he'd also go two or three weeks without allowing in and run. Like like statistically he was really strong and few guys um, you know, can can pitch as often as he as he pitches even at thirty three years old. So he's he's been quite the weapon and, and yeah, as you mentioned, that that three batter stretch is kind of his his, you know, crowning moment so far this season.
0: It, it just is so funny to me. I mean, and you you touched on it. I don't want to dwell on it much longer, and I know we've talked about him before, like in this regard, like I just never would have expected this from him this year. I mean, given his age, given everything he's had to do to get to this point. I mean, if you would have told me in like 2016 or 2017, that in the 2021 season between Andrew Miller, Cody Allen, and Brian Shaw, that Brian Shaw would just be like able to mow people down like he did on on Tuesday, I would have been like, what? not not Andrew Miller like are we are we joking like it it just is wild to me i mean when you look back at it in that context that he is where he where he is now and i mean he obviously put in the work and we again we've talked about that on previous podcasts so don't want to dwell on it too much but what he did to get to this point is i mean it's just impressive like it really is just
1: impressive yeah you you would have won a lot of money in vegas betting on on Shaw V Miller and Cody Allen yeah uh, yeah i mean that, that it's not just that Shaw returned at a later age and has been better. It's that his time in Colorado and Seattle was not yeah. great. And and I think he used the word or the term I sucked. And I mean that statistically, that's, that's pretty much right on par with how you would describe it. So for him to come back and, and do this, you know, he, he's been a, a really, a really big piece to this bullpen and, you know, Cleveland has really, like we've talked about, they've put so much value and they've kind of treasured their younger pitchers, and that'd be James Kronchak and Emmanuel Closet. But then Brian Shaw has been right there with them. And, you know, that trio has has been one of the biggest reasons why Cleveland is, um, you know, pretty much keeping pace with Chicago um, in this division, why those two teams have separated themselves um, in the central. Yeah, he's he's been everything they possibly could have hoped for and so much more and went from an intriguing option to maybe get the last spot in the bullpen to – a crucial high leverage piece
0: right like i mean there was a chance he wasn't going to even make this team like and i know you wrote about that at the time going through spring training and everything he had to do to even get a roster spot and yeah just just really really impressive and if i do create a time machine i'm going back to make that bet even though back to the future 2 basically told us all what a bad idea that would be um i would definitely try still um and to kind of touch on transition here to your three up three down piece from this week. Um, the one guy I wanted to bring up because we brought up his name so much this year, especially in the context of Jake Bowers. Um, you wrote about Bobby Bradley. So he slugged four home runs and 41 at bats. So his power is still there, but he only has three other hits and a 171 average. And he struck out 15 times entering Monday's game. Um, so just you know, give the people a little context on, what all that means, what it means in the grand scheme of things. But obviously that strikeout rate is not great.
1: Yeah, uh, not ideal. And, you know, the, the first base situation just had such an interesting dynamic. I think that's why we've talked about it so much. Yeah. And what I've kind of written about it is that coming off of the spring, you know, Bobby Bradley was such an intriguing piece. And, and he, of course, still is. I've, the power's still there, like you said. Yeah.
0: The power is still still there. It's still a positive.
1: Yeah, I don't want to use the word was because I, I, I'm i just framing this mm-hmm. when we were going into the season. Um, it was such a, an, an intriguing piece. But you have Jake Bowers, who's out of options and is also a really intriguing piece because he has the form pedigree of a, a top prospect. Um, and so that was just a really interesting dynamic for Jake Bowers to get this chance to prove that he can stick in the majors He's out of options, so this is kind of his last shot. And then you have Bradley sitting there. And and to note again, those are not the only two guys that are in this situation because Cleveland could call up a guy like Daniel Johnson or even like Nolan Jones or even Owen Miller could factor into several positions. So there are a number of guys that Columbus, uh, Cleveland could call up from Columbus that could uh, eventually affect Jake Bowers, who has come around a little bit over the last few weeks, which we've, which we've talked about. But there's this interesting dynamic of, can Jake Bowers hit well enough in the majors to hold off Bobby Bradley and company? The other side of that though, is that Bobby Bradley has to be swinging well enough to make that move a possibility. Um, You know, Bradley has to be hitting to such a degree that it makes sense to call him up on top of Jake Bowers possibly struggling or the team deciding to move on, which that has not happened, um, you know, because of Bowers' quality of contact. You know, he, He's he's performed better than what his numbers have indicated. So it, we'll see how that aspect of it you know continues to progress. But in Columbus, what, just looking at Bobby Bradley's situation, yes, he's still hitting home runs. He still has light tower power. He hits the ball a ton. The problem has been he's he, he's also struck out a ton. When he makes contact, he it goes to the moon. Like, do, it's like Dogecoin. coin. It goes to the moon. The problem is he doesn't make contact enough or he hasn't been making contact enough to really make that count. And that's kind of the situation that he ran into when he was called up to the majors um, a couple years ago, you know, he, he hit that home run and he, I think he had a couple that he pulled right down the line that went foul, but he, he displayed that power. It's just, it's not on quite enough to really make it count. And that's kind of been his problem where, you know, he, he really, he has to cut down on the strikeouts and become at least a little bit more of a complete hitter um, rather than just a slugger. So, you know, to this point, he hasn't really done enough to kind of force that move or or to really make that move possible. Um, Almost where like, he has to be kind of the lock that unlocks it. And then eventually if the team decides to move on from him, they can, they can go through that door and go down that path away from Jake Bowers. Um, But right now it doesn't look like that is going to happen or it doesn't look like that will be happening at least in respect to Bobby Bradley coming up. Um, Cleveland does have some options because, because Josh Naylor can move down to first base and because some other guys can play first base at AAA. it's not just Bobby Bradley. So I, I don't I just want to make sure that that's noted, but um, <clears throat> yeah, that the power surge is there. It's just the strikeouts have to be cut down and that hasn't happened yet. So if he does that, you know, he instantly becomes, uh, again, a really intriguing option. But until that happens, there is there isn't much reasoning behind making that move right now.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> speaking of moving on, we are about to move on from this week's edition of the Leading Off podcast. Um, so until next week, follow Ryan on Twitter at Um Check out his stuff on BeaconJournal.com, especially Bobby Bradley was only one name that you touched on in your three-up-three-down piece from earlier this week so as always encourage people to to go and read that just because we don't have enough time to talk through all the names and ryan's rationale for ranking people as either up or down um this week and you can follow me on twitter at ashley bastock 42 um and until next time when hopefully ryan is on top of the latest episode of the
1: handmaid's tale
0: so that our loyal listeners are not disappointed
1: there will be a big bowl of popcorn tonight and that show i'm excited Goodbye, everybody.